for this day today. Thank you for letting us be able to come into this place and worship you with hearts abandoned, God. Thank you for letting us be able to uh, just lift up your name with all that, our, that all that our strength can muster because we know that there are brothers and sisters that are not having that ability, that have, do not have that option, but have to worship you in secret and in quiet. But God, here we can open up our mouths and worship you as hard as we want, as loud as we want. Father, we know that today you are here with us. That Father, we have prayed, we have praised you, and we have worshipped you, and we know that you are here with us today, God. Father, I pray that today every word that is spoken, every song that has been sung, that Father, that that that's what sticks with us today. That nothing, nothing of each each of us up here, individuals that have been up here, God, that nothing of that is remembered. But Father, everything that you have spoken to us and everything that you're going to do today is what is remembered. So, Father. It's in your name that we pray, and we thank you for all that you've done in our past, everything you're doing in our present, and everything you're going to do in our future, Father. We don't need to rush this moment because, God, we don't want to leave here until we gaze into your eyes of fire. Father, we're here for you. You can be seated. Ever since uh, ever since I've been here this morning, I knew it was going to be a different atmosphere. Not just because the uh, one of our computers decided to uh, bite the dust on us, but um, I don't know. It's just this whole these whole past two weeks, just getting ready and getting prepared and. Just being in the presence of God, I've known that this Sunday is going to be something different. Not because it's a different person up here preaching or anything like that, but it's because that we're. I can't even I can't even describe the past two weeks I've been leading up to this because I've been gone for middle school week, and middle school week is just is <laughs> it's just been preparing us because. All that week, the whole topic was get into proximity with God, is getting close to our Father, and that it was teaching a generation how to get close to the Father, how to how to love on Him, to get close to their best friend, and to have that have that intimacy, that proximity. And then that Sunday, we came into a place where I didn't even think my our pastor was going to get to preach because I knew the presence of God was so thick in this place. And this past week, everyone that's been there, everyone that's been at that camp can't even, can't even describe what the presence of God was like there. Because I, it's been a while, but I, I have not been in the presence of God so thick to where it makes me lay down on my face for I don't know how long and just cry out and worship Him. And in those moments and in that setup, I felt like God was telling me that this isn't just a camp thing anymore, that I've, I've experienced this multiple times at camp, but this isn't a camp thing anymore, that this is something that needs to be at our church. 
And this past month, I don't know if you all remember, but a man by the name of Michael Oldfield came and gave us a vision for this church. I don't know if you all remembered or even took it to heart like I did, but he said that from this place, he doesn't doesn't know how, it it doesn't even matter, but he doesn't know what our numbers will look like, but all he knows is that from this church, that there will be people that will be released and that will be launched that will touch this city, touch this state, and touch this nation. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to take hold of that vision. I don't want to go back to church as normal. I'm tired of playing church games. I'm ready to step into a place to where what we experienced at camp is something that we experience every Sunday. That last Sunday, that that's not the only time that we say we had a good church service, but we walk away saying that we experienced God and we came into proximity with him. And so I just feel like that this, this Sunday has just been a setup that even though that we kind of switch the atmosphere with the type of songs that we sing, there's nothing wrong with that. You can still worship God even in the silence. But I feel like that as we were worshiping that God was kind of saying that we're going back to going back to the commitment of the previous generation but with the passion of the next. Because the Bible says we go from glory to glory. We, don't, we, don't, we shouldn't long for the last mountaintop. We should keep looking forward. We can say all we want, all the, the previous church was strong, the previous church was, was in love with God, but what good is to look at the past? The Bible actually says, uh, I forget exactly where, but it's, God's actually talking to Israel, and he says, yes, remember Exodus, remember me taking you out of Egypt, but forget it, do not long for those days, because what I'm about to do is so much greater. And I feel, I read that at camp, and I feel like that that's what God's wanting us to do here and wanting us to uh, to focus on, yes, the past years that we've been here have been awesome and they've been great, but God's about to release and do something so much greater. And so... But before I, really get, before I really get into it, I just want to say it's an honor and it's a privilege to stand behind this pulpit in the same place that our pastor stands pretty much every Sunday. Because if you guys have been here and you have heard what has been uh, spoken over our pastor in this church the past month or month or two, then you know what lies on our pastor. And I don't know about you, I'm not saying it just because he's my father, but because he is my pastor, that, that he is stepping into something, that he is becoming something, like I said, for this church, he's becoming something greater. He's going to the next glory, the next mountaintop. And again, I'm not just saying that because he's my father. I'm saying that because he's my pastor and I've been watching and I've been seeing how, he, how he's been getting deeper with God and I've been listening to the sermons that he's been preaching we're getting ready to go somewhere so much deeper. And I cannot overemphasize this. What Michael Oldfield said that stuck with me for so long ever since that is we cannot leave this church. We cannot leave every Sunday and Wednesday without gazing into his eyes of fire. Because think about it. How close do you have to be to see someone's eye color? How close do you have to be to hear somebody's whisper? We have to have proximity and intimacy with our God. And like I said, I'm tired of playing church games, and I want to I encounter our Father. And so today, I feel, like I said, at camp, I feel like that we have uh, gazed into eyes of fire, and I, wanted, I feel like I want to share what 
what I feel like led to that moment was led to that opportunity, that proximity. And um, the if you guys will be taking notes, because we know everyone that's going to heaven takes notes. Um, the title for today is called The God of the Foolish and Desperate. And the reason why I say that God is the God of the foolish and desperate is because if you look at the Bible, all the patriarchs, all our heroes that we ever talk about, all those, those great men and women of valor of God, that you find these common traits inside of them that they were both foolish and desperate. And the first verse I want to read out of today is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. Do not banish me because I'm reading out the NLT. Saints, forgive me. Um, It says this. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And let's skip down to 27. It says, "Instead instead God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considered important. And so, as I said, everyone that in the Bible that, that, um, that we consider heroes or that we admire, especially in the Old Testament, they, you can find this trait that is emphasized, that is stamped on them, that they are foolish. At least consider, in this verse, at least the world considered them foolish. Mind you, when I say foolish today, I'm talking about in the world's eyes, not in God's eyes or with your uh, Jesus goggles on. Um, I'm talking about with the way the world is looking at us from the outside in. And if you look at, if you look at great heroes of our faith like Abraham, he, he has the title of father of the faith. And the reason why is because you can find when Jesus says that more blessed are you who have not seen but yet believe, Abraham had even less than sight. The reason why he's a father of faith is because he didn't even know the name of his own God. The reason why he's the father of faith and that he was considered foolish is because he didn't even, he didn't, he wasn't able to see this God. He wasn't able to even know his name. All he knew was a voice out of the air in his mind told him to go to this land. Mind you, if you read your Bible, that now we know that he's going to Cain and going to the promised land. But if you put yourself in Abraham's shoes, all God tells him to do is pick up your stuff and go. He doesn't even, he just doesn't even give him a general direction. He's just going by the way that he feels led by God. He doesn't even have a specific pinpoint on the map saying where to go to. He's just going. And it's easy to, as I said, it's easy to say that, that he, that he did what God said. But a lot of times, put yourself in his shoes. What would you do if, one of your friends came up to you and said, man, I feel like I'm supposed to leave. I'm supposed to sell my house, take everything I own, and just go. Well, where are you going to go? Why do you even say this? I don't know. Just a voice in my head told me to go. Who told you this? Mm-mm. I don't know. 
what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to get on a boat and go somewhere in the ocean. And you pull out a map. Where in the ocean? I don't know. I'm just going to go till I find somewhere. I just know the voice in my head told me there's an island out there I'm supposed to get to. What would you say to your friend? Stop being stupid. There is a weird voice in your head. You need to go to a doctor. But as I said, that like we need a lot of times we look at the Bible and we're like, man, this is easy. God's talking to him. But how many times have you got a promise from God or heard a word from God? And then over time, you felt like you start talking to yourself or say he's been trying to put, put lies in your head. Did you really hear God? Did you really hear the promise of God? Because I guarantee you, Abraham, even though he's called the father of faith, he had to go through some trials to earn that title. You have to go through some foolish moments because the reason why I want to focus on foolishness first is because when you are so foolish to the world that the world doesn't understand you. Jesus even says, if you follow my plan and follow me, then the world will not understand you because the way I work is exactly what he said in 1 Corinthians is that I choose the foolish things to shame the wise. So the world's telling you, go, go, uh, go get a good job, go be a doctor, go be an RN or something like that, and make lots of money. Or you could be a teacher and change some children's lives. I mean, you choose the foolish things to truly make a difference. And I could go with my own life that, that um, I mean, quite honestly, I, I could have, at least I feel like, I hope you guys agree with me, I could have gone to Marshall and become... Uh, some some doctor or something or um, so glad nobody disagreed um, but I could have gone be a doctor or something or I could have at least do something else with my life but no I'm choosing to go go to school in Ohio in the cornfield which I hate um, but going to a school in Ohio to learn how to be a youth pastor where there's no guarantee even of a salary and I, I'm doing it just because I know that God is telling me to do this. And I know that, that even though I don't, I don't like it at the time, I know it's something I'm supposed to be doing. And so I want to say this, that your foolishness by listening to God is you opening the door and welcoming Jesus into your life. And something that um, one of the speakers at camp talked about is that... <laughs> is that um, You've got to step out in faith. And when you step out in faith, it's always accompanied by fear. Because if you do not have, at least have fear or reservation about it, then it's not a challenge for you and you're not relying on God. And so I'm not saying that, that um, what I want to say about that is you always have to let your faith override your fear. That you can't let, let your fear take you over and let that consume you. You've got to let faith be your guide and uh, that word of God be your anchor. Because a lot of times fear can sway us left and right. But what did we say in that Christ is our rock? He's our firm foundation, our anchor. He's the one that we hold on to. And so foolishness is what opens the gates for God's glory to enter into your life. And so you wonder why a lot of times, like, why do I not feel God? Why do I not, why do I not have that, encount, that encounter that I see so many people having? Why do I not have his blessing? Why do I not have this? Quite honestly, it may be because you're not having that intimacy with him. That 
that there are, too, there are so many parents, there are so many people that, again, the, why, the wise thing that the world would say is keep going to work over time and make more money for your family and provide for them. But yet, at the same time, they're losing time with, that, with them, their children and their family and losing that connection. So that's where, that's where the wisdom of this world gets us is get money, get money, get money, get fame, popularity. But yet in the end when you're, when you're close to eternity and you can say what was it all worth. Because everyone that, every story I've heard about people who have, who have got lots of money, who have, who have gained this popularity and all this is that they, they regret it all and said in the end it was worth nothing. So I forget the name of this great pastor, but he, a, a lot of times pastors, if you, if you get around them, they'll ask you how many you're running, how many you got saved, or how many uh, you have in your church, or anything like that. And a lot of times, sadly, it becomes a game of numbers. But I've heard, I've, again, I forget the name of this pastor, but he said, I think our pastor has told us this story that this man has preached to thousands, got, the, got nations saved, started a revival in nations. And they said, what is your one regret while he was on his deathbed? And he said, I would have let the world go to hell if it would have saved my children. And so even, even at that, when we allow our flesh, our own wisdom, say, go and preach as many people as possible. Go do this instead of do what the, what the word says. And that only gets us in trouble and leaves us with regret. And that's where the wisdom of this world gets us. And so I suggest to you, after today or even right now, make a decision to let God's foolishness override the world's wisdom in your life. And even, even at that, even now, start examining yourself and seeing what it is that God wants to change in your life because we're never done developing we're never finished growing in him and never finished grow, having our relationship in him grow and become closer in proximity with him that we can never get too close to God. And that's, a, that's exactly why he sent his son to die for us is so that we could have that, that relationship with him. And so there's no point in throwing that away for the world's wisdom. But I want to move on to the second thing in God being the God of the desperate. If you look at the Bible, that there are a lot of times that people are desperate. Even David, I want to start off with him, that when he is, when he, who all knows the story about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into, into the kingdom? That, that desperation is not always found in tears lying on the ground and crying out for God. Desperation can be found in your joy of God's presence. And the thing that I say that make David desperate is that if you look at the story in full, he says, we got to bring the ark of God into this, into this place because we need his presence. And that's exactly what I feel like that God has placed on, on me for this church today is we need to get to that place that says we need God's presence. That we're willing to do whatever it takes. If we have to go kill, kill some Philistines as David did. If we have to go uh, do whatever it takes to get to God's presence. If that means cutting off people in your lives that are hindering that. If that means uh, whatever that God tells you to do. We need to be desperate for God's presence. Because if you look at the story of the Exodus in, in Exodus 3 verse 7. It says, then the Lord told him, speaking to Moses... I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard their cries of distress because they're harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And that's, exa- and that's how the Exodus opens, the book of Exodus, is that the people were enslaved by Egypt and they were in anguish and cried out to their God in desperation. And that, that even God says here in the Exodus that desperation gets the attention of God. So foolishness opens up the door and welcomes God in, but desperation calls him in. And so desperation, as I said, it could be, it, it could be found in the joy of God's presence and, and uh, just not being ashamed of who you are in his presence. Or it could be found like Hannah in First Samuel, that um, let me let me tell you exactly where, as I said, all the all the saints who take notes go to heaven. Um, that's in the Message Bible. First uh, Samuel chapter one, verse nine through seventeen, and it says, "Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle." Hannah was in deep anguish or desperation, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And she was praying to the Lord. Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I am very discouraged or desperate. I am very desperate. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman. For I have been praying, praying out of great anguish and sorrow. I've been praying out of great desperation. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked, for, asked of him. The thing that made me really focus on this verse when I'm talking about desperation, and I feel like God wanted me to talk about that, is because not even the man of God understood her desperation. It doesn't matter what your desperation looks like. It doesn't matter what your worship looks like. It doesn't matter as long as you're desperate for him. Because quite honestly, in the end, when we all enter eternity, that person to your left or your right or behind you that you were worried about how they thought about your worship and how you looked as you were desperate for him, they're not going to stand with you between you and God in eternity. It's just going to be you and God. And you're going to have to answer for everything. So I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just saying that that is the truth of it. That it's just going to be you and him. So there's no point in, want, in being afraid of what people think of you. Because quite honestly, if they even say anything to you or the reason why they think something ill of your worship is because they wish they were that desperate. They wish they had the presence of God that you're getting ready to enter into. Because the enemy is always going to try and put thoughts in your mind right before you break through. Right before you enter into the presence of God because the presence of God can change your entire life. And so what I want, like I said at the beginning, is I want us to start making that commitment, making, start making that our goal. 
that, that as Abraham hold on to that promise, I'm going to become the father of many nations, that I'm going to have my own land and be a son of God. Let's hold on to that vision for this church. If you don't have one for yourself, I, I ask you and I, and I pray for you that you guys go talk to the Father and ask for him. It's never too late to get a vision and get a plan for your life that God wants you to keep aiming for. Because the moment we start trying, it's the moment we start becoming stagnant and dying. Because our, I feel like our relationship with God... Our relationship with God is like a muscle. You can get to the peak level of condition that you want, but if you do not exercise it, then it will become flimsy again. And so if we say we got to, our, to the point in our relationship with God that we wanted to get to, but yet stop and never continue worshiping him and only stay at the same level, we will only grow weaker. And then at one point in our life that we'll wake up and say, what happened? Why do I not feel you, God? Because God is never stagnant. He's always going. And you, and you uh, look at the scripture and you look at what, he's, what, what his presence and what his glory is described as. It's described as, as a river. If you look in Isaiah, it says that the temple had a river of living water flowing out of it. Out of that river was trees and life growing from it. And God has a way of saying that stagnant water only brings the flies and the mosquitoes. It only brings disease. And that's what stagnant. And the Bible even says that there's rivers of living water flowing inside of us. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the same description for Isaiah, the temple in Isaiah, is the same description as us. Because do you not know that your body is the living temple of God? But also inside that temple is rivers of living water. That we are that temple that, that is seen in Isaiah. That from that water that's inside of us that we should keep making flow. That we should keep making go out of us. That's why, God can, that's why God inspires you to keep pouring into people. That's why when you're out in public and God is telling you to go talk to that person, you may not have all the words, you may not even be right, but at least you're willing. And I, I would much rather say at least I did what I thought God told me to do than, sit and, than lay my head on my pillow at night and wonder if that person died and went to hell. I'd rather live with a life of saying, at least I tried, instead of, saying, instead of a life of regret and wondering what if. And so, I think God has also been talking to me a lot about love. And the, the, if God is foolish and he's desperate for us, and he literally created time, created this world for us to live on, and was willing to step out of eternity into time for 30 years and to only have a three-year ministry to, to speak to us so that we could have intimacy with him, then should we not at least try to live our lives for him? A lot of times that... <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm guilty of it. That if we think of it in that proportion, that God literally is, like, there is no concept of time to him. That when we think about our past, he's living in that and that and our present and our future. All at the same time. He, has, he is not bound by the things of time. That he literally exists in eternity. And I know this is kind of kind of off topic, but... If you think about that and that he's willing to step out of eternity just to talk to us, to have moments of intimacy with us, and we can't even pray, pray and talk to him for an hour a day. And I said, I'm, as I said, I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of that. And this, I'm guilty of it. 
and I'm working on it. I'm trying to get my get my uh, relationship with God closer and more intimate because I want to gaze into his eyes of fire and I want to hear his whisper. And I know I'm kind of short, Melissa. Can you come? Um, I just I just wanted to talk to you guys about that and very briefly. I mean, I am not long-winded whatsoever, but I do want I do want you guys to think about that. Examine your life and examine your heart and your mind. Am I really being foolish and am I truly desperate for God? Because that. That's what scares me a lot of times is when I talk to my friends and I even examine myself, am I desperate for God? And I find that I'm not. Mm. That we think that we can do this on our own. We think we can do this life on our own, but we can't. Because every time we try to do it ourselves, we, we mess up. And we always end up coming back to God saying, God, where are you? But a lot of times he's saying, I'm still here. I'm just waiting on you. And so... As I said, I want, I want that to be our aim, our goal as a church, as a church body, as a family, because we made that, we made a sand covenant to be a family. But as a family, as a body of Christ, we all have to have the same direction and the same, same thing to aim and to go for. And I encourage us, and I encourage us just, just from my perspective to aim for that vision that Michael Oldfield gave us is to, um, to be that launching pad. So, if everyone could stand, please. There's something about unity and being being unified in worship that that calls the heart of God because he didn't say just one person from Israel cried out in desperation. He said, I have heard the cries of my people. They were unified in one cry of desperation, wanting God. And so, if everyone could, please come to the front. Anthony, can you come help us out as well? All I know is from my own experience is that this, this altar is a place that God lives, that this isn't just a place for sinners, that this is a place that we can come to encounter God, that we have designated as a place to encounter Him. Yes, the Holy Spirit's inside of us, and yes, that, that's part of that we carry Christ in us, but there's a place here that we can come and encounter God. I don't know about you, but every time I've come here asking God a question, I have heard the answer that I've, I was needing. I've not once left this altar disappointed. And so that's what I want for us. If everyone could bow their head and let's pray. That nobody's looking around but me. And if that, if you find yourselves being that person that says, God, I want to be foolish and desperate. I haven't been, but I want to grow closer to God. And I want that, the gaze into his eyes of fire to hear his whisper. Just raise your hand, please. So, also anyone that anyone that has heard about this God today that is not that is not uh, in relationship with Him that is not saved and has made Him your Lord and Savior, it's again it's just me looking around. If you could raise your hand, 
and I'll pray with you, and we can, we can call them into your life together. Amen. Amen. And so, as we worship whatever song that Anthony and Melissa are felt led to sing, let's just worship him together. Amen. This is i 